wherever there's pain or discomfort, there's opportunity. It doesn't mean that the bull market's great and the bear market sucks. It's actually just navigating both and trying to get, to get stronger as a business. Welcome to the SMB Tech Innovators Podcast, powered by Gusto. On this show, we explore the intersection of fintech, vertical SaaS, and how software combats the rising complexity of running a business. Our goal is to share stories, advice, and best practices from the leaders and investors behind today's cutting-edge platforms. Here's your host, Brian Bush. Hi, I'm Brian Bush, the host of the SMB Tech Innovators podcast. This episode is a little bit different. We recorded it live at the end of January 2023, and we have three guests, all three co-founders of the HR and payroll platform for small and growing businesses, Gusto. That's Joshua Reeves, Tomer London, and Edward Kim, or Eddie as I call him in the show. First, we're grateful to the team at Emergence Capital, who hosted several dozen Bay Area leaders in their San Francisco offices for this event. And because live panels make for tricky podcasts, we're grateful to the production team at Content Allies who turned this into a fantastic episode. During the event, we heard from two panels. The first included investors from Andrews and Horowitz, Redpoint, and Tidemark VC, sharing their learnings from working with portfolio companies and evaluating future SaaS investments as those companies work with embedded fintech products. Look for a written recap of that conversation coming soon at embedded.gusto.com slash blog. In this episode, we hear from Josh, Eddie, and Tomer about what it means to be on both sides of what's often called SaaS 3.0, or adding a full suite of embedded finance products to a solid and increasingly vertical-specific SaaS solution. In the episode, we cover their perspective on growth in spite of tough economic conditions, what's most exciting in fintech from a developer's perspective, and how SaaS leaders should think about key decisions, like when to offer additional services or even launch a platform, of course, among other topics. So without further delay, please enjoy this episode with all three Gusto co-founders. So Eddie, we are learning how to play the piano now and bass, right? And Eddie loves classical music in that family. Eddie's the CTO of Gusto, my co-founder, one of the smartest people I know, and also I'd say what a handsome man. <laughs> <laughs> this is after like a 15-hour workday. People are pushed out. It's my pleasure to introduce Josh, Joshua Reeves. Josh is the CEO of Gusto. Fun fact, we went to school together since undergrad, so we were same year, same major. We started at Stanford in 2001, so it's been a very, very long time. One of my longest friends. Josh is born and raised in Marin, and that's where he lives now. If you want to geek out about architecture, city planning, Anything about San Francisco, Josh is the person you should talk to. And also, he has an incredible sense of direction. <laughs> Thank you, Eddie. Just going to say, really grateful for everyone to be here. Really excited to have ongoing conversations about ecosystem, how we can help solve customer pain. I think it can be helpful from an advice lens. Either way, we're here to get advice from you all. Just grateful for you all to be here. Tomer London right here. I guess one thing I'll say about all three of us, we're talking with individual about how we all study electrical engineering. We can talk later about the connection of electrical engineering to Gusto Embedded Payroll, if you all want. Tomer lives in Marin as well now. We're neighbors, as three kids, and is experimenting with growing out of here. You can get the feedback. <laughs> I think it's going. Over to you, Brian. Take us off the as well. 
So I now live in Denver, but I'm thrilled to be back in San Francisco because it feels like everybody in this town is an optimist. But you read the news these days, and there are some dire predictions on the macroeconomic environment front. So most of this session will be Q&A. Again, find one of the QR codes. You can start submitting questions soon. But I want to kick us off. You three are an incredible team. Talk us through how you dealt with, as a team, how you dealt with a tough economic environment in the past, how you dealt with making decisions for a fast-growing company amidst a ton of uncertainty. Do you want to take this off? The first thing that comes to mind to me is that there are things you control and there's things you don't control. The thing that we always try to focus on when it's the fan, whether it's micro or whatever it is, is to focus on what we can control. Focus on, on our customers because that's what matters the most. So uh, an example of that, I'm sure it's fresh for everyone still, is COVID. 2020, end of February, early March, something like that. And all of a sudden, we all like woke up one morning and understood that we're not going to the office anymore. Everything is shut down. There's a global pandemic. There's a virus that we can we don't even know how to spell and how to say, you know, how to pronounce. But it's taking over the world. Just like sci-fi story, right? So what do you do in that moment? What do you tell your team? You're responsible, obviously, for the team. Uh, you're responsible for your customers. You know, in our business, in payroll, it's not like dating for social media for dogs or something like that. This is real, real business. People's taxes, people's money, people's retirement, savings, people's health insurance. How do we make sure we help small businesses, large businesses? How do we make sure we help employees go out this time? So. There was this weight of responsibility, I think, that we all felt in that moment. And the thing I remember, in that moment in time, we just finished our annual planning. And annual planning in industry is a serious business. We take a step back, we research, really understand what needs to be done, where we are, where our customers are at, and spend a lot of time together as a team to come up with awesome plan for the new year, right? Something we're really, really excited about. So we just finished all this work, and all of a sudden, after this big macro world event happens, what do we do then? And what we ended up doing is really literally taking these plans, putting them aside, and talking as a team about what can we do to help our customers survive in that moment? What are they telling us? What are they worried about? They're worried about furloughs, right? How do you manage that termination? They're worried about the like, customers not coming to the office, to their store. Can they even afford the next one? Like cash flow. So immediately we jumped in and with not a lot of, I would say, top-down organization and with a lot of just bottoms-up people, gusties across the company, just jumping in and trying to figure out how they can help. Just give two examples of that. The first one is MVP loan. So we were one of the very, very first companies that helped tens of thousands of small businesses get access to their PPP loans early so they can keep running their business. And the other example is really a bunch of changes we did to help people with the compliance requirements that just happened on the state and federal level to help people with all the to for those determinations. So, I'm really proud of that moment, but it was, you know, emotionally, in that moment, I was freaking scared. And I know everyone here, or at least several folks here, are thinking about the same thing these days when the world, like, you know, is unpredictable. We don't know, is there a recession? Is there not a recession? Are we already in a recession? What's happening to the markets? So I guess the first advice I would say is just focus on what really, really matters and it's your customers. Do you remember it so Yeah, I, I think all of us, like, remember that period of time very, very vividly. We all have our stories. I just remember thinking the same thing, like, Gusto from this day forth during this period is not just a payroll company, we are a small business 
survival company. Like our job is to basically do everything we can to help these businesses survive. And like the plans didn't matter at that point. The boundaries of our product didn't really matter at that point. There are all these new concepts like PVP loans and idle and all that stuff that were brand new to us that didn't matter. Like that helped small businesses. We just did it and we didn't plan it. We just woke up, we huddled in the morning, we did everything we could. I remember like our legal team would just like get the first drafts of like the stimulus bills, like how the PV was, there's a lot of uncertainty and every day would change, we'd mark it up. But we just did whatever, with the best information that we had at that time, we implemented that. And the next day it changed a little bit, but we were 80% there. And so like, it wasn't like redoing it all over again. It was a crazy time, but it was also a very fulfilling time because we all know how small businesses actually came to thrive quite a bit, like a few months after the lockdown, right? They all got super creative. They found ways to sell things online and the parking lots. It was really cool to see the resiliency of small businesses once they were able to kind of get through that initial few months of what do we do, right? I'm personally proud of how Gusto showed up during that period and taught me a valuable lesson that if we help our customers, whether it's payroll or benefits or other financial products or anything else that's not even finance related, then our customers will be successful and then Gusto will be successful, right? That's really all that matters. Just a couple of tactical pieces of advice for entrepreneurs and or you have teams perhaps that are navigating like a recessionary environment for the first time. I think a lot about just giving both context, it's called a cycle for a reason. There are pros and cons to both parts of the cycle that can seem very theoretical, but it's true. You know, in our case, we have obviously these small, medium-sized businesses navigating a lot of different complexities. We have a product focused on tax credits, and it's actually never been a better time to engage with small businesses and give them the opportunity to use tax credits to go benefit their cash flow. It's one of the fastest growing parts of our company. So again, hopefully everyone gets this, but it should be a reminder, wherever there's pain or discomfort, there's opportunity. It doesn't mean that the bull market's great and the bear market sucks. It's actually just navigating both and trying to get, again, stronger as a business. You're echoing some of the themes from the last session in terms of, in this case, when the shit hits the fan. Ground truth is customer pain and customer needs, and that's the place to start. So next, let's get out our crystal balls and let's talk a little bit about FinTech. What are you most excited about in terms of embedded fintech? Obviously, you three have made a decision to invest an incredible amount of resources in Gusto Embedded, but as you think, you know, with your engineering hat on, even broader than just what we're doing around Embedded Payroll, what's most exciting from a developer and engineer's company? Yeah, so I'm, I'm the CTO at Gusto, so I lead a lot of our technical efforts. And the thing that I'm most excited about is how through a easy to use API, like we can allow other partners of ours to benefit from the 11, 12 years of experience and knowledge that we've gained throughout the years, right? Just has been around for about that long. And the thing that people really don't appreciate about payroll is truly how hard it is to get right. It's not just that it's complicated, it's actually that the number of at-bats you get, the number of iterations you get to perfect something is fixed, right? So we're in January right now, right? And January is a really important month for payroll companies. And it's important because like your W-2s 
for the previous year are due by January 31st. So you literally have from January 1st to January 31st to file all of your W2s for all of your customers for the previous year. And that only happens once a year. So like anyone who's in tech, they know that your product gets better the more iteration. It's all about iteration, right? How fast can you iterate to learn from your customers, to learn from your mistakes, and get better and better and better? Payroll is really interesting because there's nothing you could do to actually increase your iteration cycles. You only get one filing per year. Every payroll does that. You can't go to the IRS and be like, you know what, I want a second chance this year. It doesn't happen. They'll give you a notice when you make a mistake. And not only that, the notices come very, very delayed. You know, they'll come like sometimes two to three years after you've actually made that filing. So you don't actually get feedback from that years of filing until several years later. Those of you that have ever received a notice from the IRS for your personal income tax may know this, right? Like, I've gotten a notice that I made some mistake on my personal income tax for something I filed like three years ago. That's how backlog the IRS is, and the same is for payroll. So that's what makes this really, really hard, right? The best analogy I can think of is rocket companies. Like, let's take SpaceX, for example. You learn by like, launching rockets, right? But you can only do so many at a time because it's very, very expensive to do. And so, to go back to the original question, Gusto has been in this for many, many years. And we've had many, many cycles to learn from it. And we've gotten really, really good at it. And so what I'm excited about is, just through an API, other partners get to time travel, right? Like you get to basically gain those years of experience that Gusto has built over the year that literally you cannot get except for waiting for that long of period of time. If you're a rocket company, do you want to be the first customer of that rocket company, right? Just look at SpaceX and how many rockets they blew up in the beginning, right? Absolutely not. Although payroll is not at the same as shooting something into space, to businesses and to employees, it's just as important, right? If you're getting a notice from the IRS not following your tax, getting something that says you did it wrong, so now you owe us like $100,000. That's pretty scary for small businesses. You don't need to test iterations there. Oh. And by the way, you might be wearing a CTO hat, but I'm gonna put time travel right at the top of the website because that's actually a great pitch. Tomorrow, so I'm curious your standpoint. Think about it more from the product lens, what that user experience is, what's most exciting about another FinTech? The early panel did a good job talking through this. For me, Think about like if you had early word processor, right? Where you you know you write a document out and you maybe change some fonts and you have put something in top to say what you want, but then you actually can't print it or you can't you know export it to PDF or you can't do anything with it. It's kind of stuck in there, right? That's the state today with a lot of vertical SaaS and a lot of small business platforms where you have information about your employees, but you really can't do anything with it, or you have information about the company's bank account, or what's happening with the company, you can't really do anything in the real world with it. So for me, similar to that, you know, adding that option to print, and of course it has to be a part of the word process. Of course you should be able to print, right? That's the same situation that we have right now with embedded payroll, enabling companies who have access to the employee information, or the employee, it could be the employee time, hours, it could be how, you know, it's small business functionality that has access to this information about employees to immediately go and do actually something with that data. So I'm really, really excited about this. The way I think about this is, you know, 10 years ago, and we're payroll geeks at this point, although we started as electrical engineers, at this point I think we are certified payroll geeks. 10 years ago, there was this big, big, big transformation from this world of traditional payroll 
using fax machines, phone calls, and things like that. You know, long cycles, all manual, very, very expensive. Transition from that world to what it is right now, which is SaaS, right? So, so, so uh, payroll-focused SaaS would be like an HR and payroll-focused SaaS. That was 10 years ago. We're 10 years in. We're all here in tech. 10 years is in infinity in tech. So now there's another transition. And this transition for me is really what's happening in this room. It's this movement from a dedicated SaaS focused on payroll and HR into a vetted payroll where you actually are sitting, you're putting the functionality where the customer already is to make your product just much more useful and create more value for these customers and for their employees. So I'm really, really excited about this. I think at the end of the day, the customer really, really wins here. If a bunch of small businesses or large companies are sitting here, owners, they're listening to this, they're really excited because we're going to save them time, we're going to enable them to run their business more efficiently and just better. So I think that's what we're all here for. Yeah, I can add to that. I think it's obviously fun to geek out on trends and different shifts in the market, but at the end of the day, all that matters is, are you making the life of the customer better? And we're all talking, I think, about the end customer, the small and medium-sized business, the employer, and the employees. And so, yeah, one thing I'll just add to make really, really clear to folks, all we care about is making the lives of SMBs better. And those of you that are familiar with what we offer at Gusto.com today might be wondering, hey, why and how does Gusto Embedded fit into that? And I want to make that really clear. We see Gusto Embedded as the way for us to go reach and serve with our partners, ultimately your customers, with us behind the scenes enabling millions of SMBs that likely won't be using something from Gusto.com. And so that's what drives us. You know, we're really excited, again, to be really clear, you can all launch native payroll powered by Gusto, and you don't have to build it from scratch. And that means we can solve more of those employer-employee pain points. You know, we process well over $100 billion of payroll a year at this point. You're leveraging a lot of that infrastructure to make your life easier. And eventually, you know, I think Gusto.com becomes powered by Gusto Embedded. So just want to make sure that point is really clear to folks in terms of how it fits into our strategy. And hopefully you get it's not a magical concept. It's quite logical. If this is a business, we see an avenue to reach millions of SMBs with our partners, solve pain, and obviously we monetize based on volume usage. And so we think it can be a fantastic way to win. And also I'll just say lastly, huge fan of the you know both vertical SaaS trend and embedded trend. We're obviously not the only one. There's many different vertical SaaS businesses now, and there's many different products that are being embedded. The trends work together, obviously they're mutually beneficial. And I just think it's an awesome, awesome trend. The more smart, awesome, UX-focused, great technology businesses trying to make the lives of SMBs better versus you know, just focusing purely on enterprise, it's just an incredible time, and it's about time too that SMBs got better software. And maybe we'll queue up that one. So I'm looking at some of the questions that are coming in from everybody right now. And I think we're fortunate. These are deep partnerships, which means before we're signed with a partner, once we're working with somebody building payroll, we're actually bringing the three of you in quite frequently to chat with these folks. And so Tomar, I'm interested in your question. This is which customer segment do you see the most traction with so far? But really, I think it's Share some anecdotes. There's sort of vertical SaaS versus some of these more horizontal, say, account tech or tech-enabled accounting types of options. Like, share a little bit, some context from the conversations you're having and where you see this evolution or some trends you're seeing in terms of better SMB tech. Yeah. First example comes to mind is, and I don't know if we have a spot on folks in the room. That's me. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Quantum is a really good example for me. It's point of sale system focused on restaurants and other businesses. 
And I think they represent a really interesting use case. Again, we talked about Toast earlier. There's other players in the space who really recognize that the point of sale for many restaurants, for many locations, is really where the action happens. It's the center of the business, right? People come in, for example, employees come in the morning, they clock in, they clock out. If you obviously, you know, as folks, uh, customers come in and you want to promote some sort of promotion for some of the products, you can also tie that to compensation on later on, connection to inventory and other things. So it's really the place where those business owners run their business model. So that connection, obviously, again, that's the printer analogy from earlier, right? Connecting that to the obvious next thing. And I think that space is a space that is probably like one step ahead of many other spaces today. Because there's some good examples out there that improve the concept on shows really high pathways and really great customer value. Some others that are, I feel, kind of different phases, we see companies that are their banks, small business banks, and are interested in offering payroll is, again, they see themselves as a place to help small business manage their entire business. And as someone said here earlier, payroll is one of the biggest expenses, many times the biggest expense that a company has. So it's really important to bring into your financial view. There's a bunch of other companies around bookkeeping and accounting and things like that. That's again, trying to bring in the entire financial view. So I feel like there is a lot of areas, there's a lot of interest around the small business ecosystem. And again, there's like 6 million just employers in the US, right? This is a massive, massive market. And they're different and they're unique and they are, they have their own specific needs. So I am very, very bullish on this idea of different sort of applications that are doing a better job for different sort of customers and everyone needs to get there. People are learning, to be clear, many different verticals, examples. But are people doing this top of funnel? Are they doing it to drive ACV expansion due to higher tax rates? Are they doing it to drive higher retention? Are they bundling it with an existing price tier or making it an add-on? You know, we can help and obviously give advice, share best practices, but it really is a case-by-case situation, and that's why obviously this is a very high-touch relationship. And we have some amazing folks on the team that have worked on broader just apparel for many years that are basically at your disposal. Whether you're already a partner or not, or thinking about it, definitely tap into the team. People are smarter than the three of us, but actually can be really helpful in giving you advice on those topics. It's not plug in an API and just read some documentation. It's meant to be, by design, a higher-touch relationship. Although, if you want to just use the technology too, you can do that as well. There's much, much more to the relationship. I'd say one more thing that's a little bit more technical and it could be interesting for the product folks here, which is there's different ways for you to build generally with you know embedded finance and specifically for embedded payroll. You can with Gaso embedded, you can use pure APIs, so have your team really build every single interaction the way exactly that you want it, the most customized way possible. But it takes time, right? Because you got to do a lot of this engineering work and design work. There's the other ways of the other the other way of doing it is using some pre-built components. And if you go all the way in, basically use our pre-built components for everything, like if there's a component for run payroll flow, a component for editing an employee flow, and so forth. What I've seen in terms of trend is people are trying to figure this thing out. This is very, very new. Compare that to lending as a space, to payments as a space that's been in this world of tech for a long, a long time. Payroll is a product that's offered not by just four or five companies, it's brand, brand new. So people are trying to learn this out. I would say in the beginning, everyone, like what I saw is a lot of people jump in and like, I want to build everything myself, start working through it, uh, in spite of, you know, perhaps sometimes some conversations like, hey, maybe you should start with some more pre-built stuff. And I think slowly people are actually now going to the other side and starting with pre-built components and then over time actually navigating towards the API, kind of customizing towards their situation. I think that's probably the best way. So it can also run faster. 
Gus is no stranger to some embedded fintech as well. I'm going to riff off this question that just disappeared on me. But I'm thinking about our members' products. So, Eddie and Tomer, I think this one is for either of you. Kind of what lessons would you have to share with folks about building potentially with some of, I mean, obviously not payroll, but some payment facilitation or something along those lines? Like, what's our experience? What lessons would we take away from actually building on embedded fintech platforms? Yeah, okay, so Gusto has a product called Gusto Wallet. It's a consumer fintech product, so folks who get paid through Gusto can download Gusto Wallet, open a bank account, access of savings, a cash, savings account, a cash account, a debit card connected to it, and a bunch of functionality around budgeting, savings, and basically building financial resilience. We did not build the entire thing ourselves. It was a small team, iterated over time in order to you know, find product market fit, figure out what our members, that's how we call people, get paid through Gusto members. What do members want? How can we best help them because they're part of the, of the Gusto ecosystem? So I feel like when we started this like four, around four or five years ago, I want to say, kind of dabbling into this, the market was very early. So today you have tons of banking as a service providers, like, I don't know, maybe 30 at this point, but there's very, very, very few of them in the beginning. And one thing was interesting for me that really, really mattered, and that was unintuitive, perhaps, but intuitive stuff is not interesting. So the unintuitive part is actually the trust. Like, we were all here to build technology, this software, it sounds very, nothing, I guess, human about software and code and compilers and so forth. But when you do a partnership with another partner, and we've had that both on the banking side, both the processor side, and the infrastructure side, you actually need to look at the other partner in the eye and really make sure, are we really aligned with Do you really want me to be successful? What are you going to do to help us be successful? How can we work on this together and truly be partners as opposed to just a vendor? That's a lesson that, for me, was unintuitive in the beginning. In the beginning, I looked at them as, you know, vendors, like an API document, download, start coding without talking with anyone, which is just the wrong way of looking at things. So, I feel like that lesson I'll apply to what we do here is, we have a great team, including you, know, you and other folks here that are really thinking about how do we make our partners successful and not just, you know, launch something and see what happens. So, if you take a step back and, like, look at consumer financial products, the companies that offer them. A lot of times, what they need to offer that product actually comes from understanding the source of pay of that consumer, right? So you go to a bank or a car, if you buy a car, you want to get a loan, what do they ask you, right? They'll ask you your last two pay stubs, usually, and they'll ask you for your W-2s. And why are they doing that? What they're really trying to understand is an important part of what it takes for them to make a decision to offer that product to you, right? Namely, how are you getting paid? How often are you getting paid? What are you getting paid? But it's very, very burdensome for them to ask every single pay stub for your last year, and they're not going to ask you to like keep it up to date. The payroll provider, and you have visibility that goes back to the data that you get from also being the, the source of the funds, but at that point you see all the money coming in. What does that give you in terms of the ability to offer consumer financial products? What advantage does that give you that other financial product companies like banks don't have because it's too much friction to ask for that level of information, right? And there's some hacks to that today, right? You see some companies that are trying to kind of get access to that information the same way that you also have these companies try to get access to visibility into your bank. 
But it just goes to show, when you combine these two things together, what powerful things you could offer to the consumer from a financial products perspective, right? So that's one of the lessons that I've learned. I feel like a lot of our last panel was talking about when you're embedded in the flow of funds, and the, the intuition there is when you're embedded in taking customer payments, but kind of what you're saying is, when your product is also embedded in the cost side of the equation, that also gives you, I think it was Andrew's term, kind of a not unreasonable, an unfair advantage when it comes to selling some of these other services. So, Josh, this one may be for you. The question is, what percentage of revenue do you think Gusto Embedded will make up in five years? But really more, talk about the vision. You already started to say, like, hey, no disclosure, honey. the vision is to serve millions of small businesses via the infrastructure that you built today. So, Talk a little bit about the vision, maybe the product mix, how you see that evolving over the long term. So one thing I'll say to start, I know I meant the best thing for what you did, but this is not about me or the three of us. Gusto is 2,500 people, and anything you go and accomplish in the future is going to be based on team improving and enabling all of you to be successful, not any one individual. So I try to play the part I can, but really grateful to the team that it's all that we do possible. And I'm sure many of you that are entrepreneurs feel the same way about company building as all as a team sport. When I think about the future and what's possible, I mean, just to play it out, you know, six million employers in the US alone. I think the broad set of businesses, many of you represent them, that are either taking, taking horizontal, vertical, et cetera, approaches to serving small, medium-sized business. Why do we talk about SMB? SMBs are 98% of the businesses. So half of the workforce. Do we care about larger companies too? Sure. Is that our focus today? No. Can we help them in the future? Absolutely. And many of you might be already. But really scoping to that, that 1 to 500, that's 98% plus of the businesses and over half the workforce. I really believe all of you and many of our other partners are going to be the ones that reach and serve many, many millions of them. And so if we can play a part, again, to the things we're going to add, which is payroll, we also hope and plan to bring many of the other product lines into the embedded world. So can we also, if it makes sense, enable you to offer health benefits? Can we also enable you to offer more robust, you know, you can choose, whether it's what we do in time tracking, what we do in tax credit, with a bunch of different product lines. We plan and expect to make all of them able to be embedded. And then you would choose what makes sense for your business to go offer. What percentage of our future? I think this is the future. And so, I guess, we expect it to be the most largest percentage of our future as a result. To be clear, if any of you are using Gusto.com and literally signing up directly to use our direct products, I also see a future for that product. You know, no secret surprise here, it solves a real pain, customers like it, it's growing. I think we're going to be obviously investing in that, but I think over time that's simply a smaller percentage of the number of SMBs that we're helping. Because just again, pure logic, how many can you reach directly and are a good fit for versus working with you know dozens, hundreds, and I think in the future of thousands of partners who each are reaching tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of SMBs individually. That just feels logical to me. Now can we go achieve it together? Well that's the fun of company building. We gotta learn something, right? We have to go make that future real. Well, I love that. It connects back to the point of, hey, building on the APIs, especially when you really put thought and time into the user experience, you can build something that is different from Gusto.com, is different from a lot of other horizontal offerings out there. So we want to give folks, I think I'm going to wrap up with this one. And I think, Tomer, for you first, and maybe Eddie, if you want to chime in as well, more for the smaller and growing companies here, what advice would you have about the decision? When is the right time to 
try to become a platform to think about trying to offer what you built as something that others can begin to build on. So like when, at what point of time do you need to look back at your own technology and say, hey, maybe that is really like other people who want to do it too? We've been thinking about this idea for a long, long, long time. That's why we can actually do it because we built the technology in a way that can be sold later to partners. But it took us a while until we went and actually got it to partners. And the reason is that you need to wait until there's a market to buy it from. And what happened in the past, I think, three years is really astonishing around the number of these platforms, small business platforms. Ten years ago, there was very, very, very few companies that were focused on helping small businesses, medium businesses. It was all consumer software and enterprise software and intuitives. And, you know, Shopify and Square actually started to show the way. It was very, very, very early in the space. Today's very is it's different. There's like hundreds of these really, really exciting companies who identify their niche or identify their need, and they are they're going for it and they're seeing traction. And so timing is really, really important. So it's, it's the, to answer the question, I think it's two components. The first one is look inwards, see where do you do something in terms of technology and your operations. It's really, really valuable and very hard to do. And look into the amount of pain it took for you to actually go and build all this thing and understand that there's a lot of value in it. Now, the second question is, when do you go to market? And that's where we're really looking at the market and seeing the, the marketplace and seeing who are the customers for this and is the market ready. I think for us, it took 10 years. We didn't know it would take 10 years. It could have taken five years or 20 years, but that's really hard to control. Any anything you Yeah, I'm going to you know, answer from like more of a technology perspective. So one is, obviously, you have to feel confident that the product that you built is mature enough to offer as a platform, right? There's a saying in payroll, actually, that rings very true to me. Don't trust anyone with your payroll unless they've done it for at least seven years. And that's actually true for the exact reasons of the cycle issue that, that I talked about, right? So you have to feel confident that well, you can do it correctly before you make it a platform. The second one is, as your company matures, your startup in the beginning, so you kind of like just get the MVP out there. You're not too worried about the architecture and like how the backend APIs and the interface with your front-end experience. But as you mature, you start to care about that because that's how you scale the development yourself. So at a certain point, you start to really learn what the right architecture and the right interfaces are. And that's how you do things internally in your own company. And then at a certain point, you look at it and you're like, what prevents us from allowing other partners to use the same API? That's exactly what we do. At Gusto, you're getting the same backend and ultimately the same APIs that we ourselves at Gusto use. And then the third is you have the ability to scale, right? So you get a lot more confidence in being able to process, it's actually not hundreds, but more than 100 billion. Like we process, it's north of $300 billion in payments per year on a given day, billions of dollars in a single day of like ACH payments that we're pushing through the banking system. And when you create a platform, by definition, you're going to get a lot more scales. You have to feel confident that you could push millions of W-2 filings, right, in the span of a few days, billions of dollars in a single day, right? You have to have a lot of confidence in that before you can actually platformize and productize your platform. So I would say those two things. You have product maturity, scalability, and then confidence in your interface. And if we said ground truth is customer pain at the beginning, in this case, you're your own customer, as you said, so there's ground truth there. Josh, anything you'd add to wrap this up? 
No, I'm just going to add, if we get to get to that, not every product needs to be a platform. Hopefully that's clear too, right? Every business has different strategies, different approaches. Like the reason why I really believe this makes sense, I think I mentioned earlier, but a lot of it was customer demand. We've been working with a lot of partners for six, seven, eight years, and it started as just a lightweight relationship where we route traffic. And if you think about it from a customer lens, that's not a great experience. They're just kind of being sent to another website to create another account to log in, and maybe at best there's some type of slight import export or data migration process. So I guess again, I'm just going to double down. I think a philosophy that we all share. If you all start with what's a better customer experience, I think as long as you have a business model that supports that, which we do, and I hope many of you do, it actually works out. It's like keep solving the customer pain, keep giving them a better experience, and then they'll keep paying you and looking to use more of what you offer. And that's the beauty in general of SaaS. We didn't invent that, but I really love that that backdrop to a lot of uh, the companies we partner with. Fantastic. Well, great place to wrap up. Please give a round of applause for Dr. Thank you all again. That's our show this week. Thanks for listening. You can follow Josh, Eddie, and Tomer on LinkedIn or connect on Twitter at E-D-A-W-E-R-D, at Tomer London, and at Joshua Reeves. We want this show to be valuable for you, so please take 30 seconds, and in the comments of the show, let us know one guest that you'd love here speak on building better tech for SMBs. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the SMB Tech Innovators Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode of the SMB Tech Innovators Podcast is brought to you by Gusto Embedded. Gusto has spent a decade building and testing its payroll, tax filing, and compliance infrastructure, which is available as a robust set of APIs so you can develop custom-tailored payroll solutions. For more information, go to embedded.gusto.com.